0: Hello and welcome to Square Mile of Murder, I'm Kat and unfortunately Taylor has been quite ill this last week which means we have not been able to record a new episode. So what we've done is we've got an episode which is from our £10 tier on Patreon which only our mothers had signed up to uh, which is why that tier has now gone. But because nobody has listened to it, we've decided to put the episode out this week. So there will be like Patreon references and things. Just to make sure that you guys get an episode. Uh, We did have a big two-parter planned for this week and next, but because with Taylor been ill we're not going to do that. So we've shelved that until next year. Please enjoy this episode, I hope you'll join me in wishing Taylor a speedy recovery we might have a new episode for you next week, we might have another one from the mother tier. Hopefully Taylor will be better soon and then come December we, I don't know if we said this in our newsletter because I can't remember, but we actually have a month of spy and espionage themed cases for December which we're really excited about because it's something that fascinates us, hopefully it fascinates you guys as well, so hopefully by December Taylor will be back on the mic and we'll have those episodes for you Uh, until then enjoy this uh, upcycled episode on Dr. Crippen which we really enjoyed doing because the man is kind of an urban myth so it was a lot fun to be able to find out the real story or stories Uh, so yeah Listen, enjoy, and hopefully we'll be back soon with a new episode.
1: I'm Taylor. I'm Kat. And welcome to this month's Square Mile of Murder. 10-pound Patreon bonus episode. It's one of those days, y'all. What the fuck was that? I'm feeling slap happy. I noticed. Toasty warm in my little shed (laughs) out here. So, hi. Welcome, mom. (laughs) Uh... This month we're talking about the infamous American homeopath Holly Harvey Crippen, more commonly known as Dr. Crippen, uh, the technology that convicted him, and uh, the latest discussions around whether he might actually have been innocent. And there will be a quiz at the end, so. Take notes. Yeah.
0: Holly Harvey Crippen was born in Coldwater, Michigan on September 11th, 1862. And in the 1880s, he began to study homeopathy, first at the University of Michigan Homeopathic Medical School, and then at the Cleveland Homeopathic Medical College, where he graduated in 1884. In 1885, he continued his medical studies and obtained a diploma as an eye and ear specialist from the Ophthalmic Hospital in New York. Uh, after qualifying, Crippen began travelling around the US and eventually with his first wife, Charlotte. We don't know when they met and married. There's very little about her, not even her like full name. <sighs> uh, but we do know that she died from a stroke in 1892 and that the couple had a young son named Hawley Otto. He was about two years old when Charlotte died and after her death, Crippen entrusted the boy into the care of Charlotte's parents, who resided in California.
1: So homeopathy, if you're not familiar, is described as a pseudo-scientific system of alternative medicine, which is widely rejected by the scientific medical community, although is accepted by many of those who believe in alternative medicine. Uh, According to the NHS website, one of the central principles of homeopathy is that quote like cures like or that a substance that causes certain symptoms can also help to remove those symptoms bit of like there's a phrase there's a there's a colloquialism and it's like something from the snake that bit you or something
0: Uh, the hair of the dog that bit you
1: that's what it is (laughs) the snake that bit you
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like when you start drinking again the next morning when you're hungover. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. I mean, you, that, need, you need the hair of the dog that bit you to kill you.
1: Yeah. So, like, it's kind of like that. But, you know, with health. Yeah. Maybe not so great. After consultations, homeopaths prescribe treatments for ailments in the same way a GP would, and treatments can be in the form of pills, tinctures, lotions, or potions. Uh, homeopathy is not regulated in the UK, therefore anyone can claim to be a homeopath and set-up shop, despite having no idea what they're doing. Neither the NHS nor the UK government recommend homeopathy after a report in 2010 found that homeopathy offers little more health benefits than the placebo effect.
0: And it's important to make the distinction between homeopathy homeopathy, and alternative medicine yeah because uh, homeopathy is a type of alternative medicine and like some like non-pharmaceutical medicines do work yes yeah you know you if you want to look at like um like medicinal marijuana and cbd and things like like
1: that acupuncture
0: yeah is it reiki yeah certain type of massage things like that yeah they do work they don't cure things like cancer they don't cure like chronic conditions like arthritis and things like that yeah and that's the distinction to be made
1: yeah well and i think that's uh, it, in that alone it, it's not necessarily that it can cure but it may help mm. treat yeah
0: after continuing to travel around the u.s following charlotte's death Crippen ended up in new york where he met his his second wife, 17-year-old Corrine, or Cora, Turner. She was about 14 years his junior, and the couple married in either 1893 or 1894. The dates vary because it's one of these very old cases, and record-keeping was nobody's top priority. (laughs) This will become a running theme. 'Cause it's not like the dates are out by one or two years, it's there's like a seven year variation in dates in some parts. Yeah. Uh Cora was an aspiring musical singer. She was the daughter of a Russian Polish father and a German mother. Her birth name was actually Kunigund Makamotski. and she went by the stage name Belle Elmore when performing. So, Cora three names. Yeah, really. Uh, after marrying, the couple travelled around the US, uh, and Crippen was employed by a Dr. Munions, uh and this was a homeopathic pharmaceutical company. Who knew? Which sounds like a bit of an oxymoron. Yeah, uh, a little bit, a little bit like, there. To be homeopathic and pharmaceutical because
1: one is not homeopathy the other is
0: usually based on a
1: rejection of pharmaceutical medicine. Yeah, but look. They they're just a mess of contradictions. They're only human, mm. right? Crippen continued to work for Doctor Munyon's until 1899 when he was fired. And in 1900, the couple moved to London. But Crippen's medical qualifications were not sufficient enough to practice any kind of medicine in the UK. And again, because of a lack of clear record keeping, they. Possibly moved to London in 1897 after Crippen was fired by Dr. Munyons. But other sources say that he continued to work for Dr. Munyons after moving to London. So basically, uh, around the turn of the century, he was fired and moved to London. Not necessarily in that order. But he did he did rejoin
0: the company at some point later on. So, yeah, so which confuses the timeline even more.
1: Yeah, so it's all a bit fuzzy, basically. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they went to London. So after moving to London, Cora Crippen pursued her stage career first as an opera singer and then as a music hall singer. But by all accounts, she wasn't a particularly talented performer. Which is always a bummer to hear mm. when <laughs> you're trying to be a yeah. singer.
0: It's kind of reported in different ways. Like some say that like she didn't have a like a shred of talent, and others it's like, well, she made it in some like the small local dance halls, which was never going to be like a big Broadway style. Yeah.
1: So the thing that I watched, which was this great old, I don't even know what like tv special about this case said that she when they moved to london and she started working in the music halls she would play this like brash american character which did well with music hall audiences Mm. or that type of character did but that yeah she wasn't finding particular success with her chosen career However, that did not stop her from mixing with the rich and famous, and she did manage to secure the role of treasurer of the music hall Ladies Guild in London. Now, quite a lot of sources about this case are quite misogynistic. And talk of Dr. Crippen as a poor, neglected, long-suffering husband, and Cora as an overbearing, dominant character... You know, a woman who went out and spent her husband's money climbing the social ladder and neglected her husband's needs. However, according to one of the sources on Murderpedia, Cora was a vivacious and pleasant woman. She was fond of the finer things and liked to dress up. Uh, She had a thick New York accent and long dark hair that she dyed auburn. And she was a devout Catholic and even converted her husband to her faith. By contrast, Crippen was described as a
0: small, mild-mannered man. He had thinning hair, a thick moustache, and prominent eyes behind his gold-rimmed spectacles. At some point in the early 1900s, Crippen was working at either the Institute (laughs) for the Death or the Yale Tooth Specialists. I mean, we've got to the point where it's not even different years, it's now completely different places. Yeah, also, yeah,
1: it's like, ears? Or teeth. <laughs> teeth, teeth.
0: Those are the same. He worked, he worked somewhere in London, <laughs> where he hired a young typist named Ethel Clara Neve, also known as Ethel Lenive. She was about eighteen when she met Crippen, and by nineteen o five, she had become his mistress as Cora, according to all these you know, sources which I've refused to link below in the show notes because I will not give them the time of day. Because according to all of them, she had been neglecting her husband's sexual needs. Because she was such an evil woman. Tragic. Uh, During this time, Cora continued to try her luck as a singer and did achieve some success in the smaller sort of music and dance halls in London. But nothing compared to her ambitions of becoming this famous opera singer. She had expensive tastes. Girl, good for you. Yeah, why not? A love of jewellery and furs. Um and she was easily able to spend like the equivalent of like two thirds of the year's rent on a single fur. Oh. So I think like at the time a fur would have cost about thirty to forty pound. And in September of nineteen oh five the couple moved to thirty nine Hilldrop Crescent in Camden, North London. The house was much larger than they needed, and a strange choice considering the rent was almost £60 a year. So, yeah, her fur was like eight months' rent. Yeah, jeez. And Crippen's wage was just £3 a week, and that's that wasn't a regular wage. I mean, it wasn't a bad wage for the time. Mm-hmm. We'll get to some conversions later, because you all know I love doing that. Yes. Um, But yeah that was it wasn't
1: even a regular wage that he was earning regular as in it was lower or it was higher
0: no so it was like it was it was a like it was an average wage oh, was three pound but it wasn't regular work it wasn't
1: um consistent it wasn't like yeah yeah
0: okay that makes sense and some and obviously her trying to become a a performer that's not regular stable yes. income either. Yeah, so yeah. strange strange choices But the couple took in lodgers to supplement the high rent and irregular incomes. Cora reportedly had an affair with one of these lodgers in 1907. So the following year, Crippen moved Ethel in to the home as his lodger slash living mistress. Although it's not clear
1: how much Cora knew when Ethel moved in. Scandal. Hmm. Uh, so this arrangement continued until December 1909, when Cora told Crippen that she intended to leave him, which would have been fine because he already had his mistress living with him. You know, all he had to do was move her things across the hall into the master bedroom.
0: I mean, isn't it isn't it just great when things work out like that? So
1: convenient. Mm. Which I feel like this happens more than it should with the mistress <laughs> moving into the house. There was another case that we covered where this happened. And then, cause I remember talking about it and I was like, Oh, it's like the Lynette Dawson teacher's pet podcast uh, case. Mm. Uh, it's just like, what, how, what, why, why? Cause, Men are scum? I mean, yes. But, like, why do you have to scum so hard?
0: We're, we're just saving on the rent, isn't it? Because otherwise it's going to have to pay for the mistress to have an apartment yeah, near like a, them. Like a pied-a-terre. And
1: then,
0: yeah, and then the wife's going to work it out because there's no money
1: for furs. Well, that's true. That would, that would throw me off if I couldn't get my weekly fur coat. <laughs> Can you imagine me in a fur coat? I would look so awkward. I
0: can, but kind of in, like, a pimp kind of way.
1: <laughs> so there's a fur
0: hat as well. No, there's, like, a big top hat. You've got the cane. You've got some, like, like gangster jewelry. So Kind of like 50 Cent in the Frozen
1: Dead. So basically not a good look for me is what we're going with. No. <laughs> now, a nice, like, warm shearling coat, like, I could maybe get behind. But not a fur. No, no. Right, so that was all, you know, that would have been super handy. However, during this same announcement where she was like, bro, we're done. Cora also told him that she intended to take her share of the couple's joint savings, which was 300 pounds, which today would be worth 36,630 pounds and three pence. That three pence, that's the very important part there. Or if you are from America, uh fifty one thousand eight hundred thirteen dollars and eighteen cents.
0: Yeah, and we didn't convert it for our European or Australian audiences. Somewhere
1: between the two. So basically around about thirty thousand to fifty thousand of your preferred currency probably something like that which is a lot more than 300 Mm. and now children we talk about the rate of inflation and how it's going to outpace and outstrip society oh no wait that's a different show no that's a nightmare (laughs) what were we talking about again cora
0: oh yeah cora and her furs. yeah
1: and her furs. and so she's like i'm gonna take 150 pounds of our 200 pounds no 300 (gasps) pounds no her half was three hundred. Oh, so their oh, okay. So their total savings was six hundred. About six hundred. Okay. I yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so even better, she was getting even more out of the deal than I thought.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, that's what she was walking away with. Those figures. Great. Good for her. You go, girl. But also puts into. Perspective: How expensive their rent was, because that was a hundred, about one hundred and sixty a year.
1: Yeah, no shit. Right. So on December fifteenth, Cora gave notice to the bank that she intended to withdraw her share of these savings, but we're not entirely sure when she collected the money because she was still living at thirty nine Hilldrop Crescent on January thirty first, nineteen ten. In early January, Cribben ordered five grains of hydrosine hydrobromide, also known as scopolamine which in small doses can be used to treat motion sickness or travel sickness, but in large doses, wouldn't you believe it, it can be lethal. I feel like whenever anything is like this is measured in grains, you know Mm. that it's not going to end well. (laughs) Yeah. The only decent thing that I know of that you can measure in grains is rice and sand, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) nothing else.
0: Grains of wheat, corn. But do we call them grains? When you get them off the husks, you can.
1: Okay. but see, like, to me, a corn is a kernel. Okay. (laughs) Have it your way. I mean, I come from the land of corn. You do. The entire United States economy is based on corn, so. But that's another, that's another episode in and of itself. Um... (laughs)
0: Corn crimes. Yeah.
1: Ooh, corn crimes.
0: Oh dear, what have I done? Stick that in
1: your corn cob pipe. Oh dear. <laughs> oh no. I'm worried. <laughs> Send help. No, you're stuck with me. Um, <laughs> right. So five grains of uh, scopalamine was. Such a large amount to be ordered that the shop had to order it from the wholesalers. Which, again, not a good sign. (laughs) And Crippen collected it on January 19th. Also, scopalamine, can it make you very suggestible? Like, very, like, pliant if it doesn't kill you outright? Like, I feel like it's one of those drugs.
0: Yeah, maybe, because if it, like treats like sickness and stuff that part of that would be relaxing you would not yes it? yeah
1: totally i would have
0: thought hmm maybe well what's interesting is because it was used to treat sickness i don't think he'd have had to like sign the poison book poison register
1: yeah probably not was-
0: actually i don't even know if that was still a thing in 1910 well so and also
1: like because he's a homeopath or whatever he could say. Oh, yeah. I'm buying this wholesale or whatever for my seasickness tincture or whatever.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think of that. I was just thinking like, oh, that's a good way to avoid the poison
1: register. Yeah. There you go. Um,
0: on January 31st, the Crippens threw a dinner party for Cora's friends, Paul and Clara Martinetti, who she knew through the music world. And the evening passed pleasantly. Except for an incident where Cara chastised Crippen for not showing Paul Martinetti to the upstairs bathroom. I know, that always really pisses me off. <laughs> I know. I've seen you shout at your wife so many times for not showing me where something was. <laughs> <laughs> Just
1: like, he can find it himself. I mean, he might run into Ethel up there, but like, that's yeah. fine. Supposedly, that's fine. The Martinettis left at about
0: 1am on February 1st, and that was the last time anyone saw Cora Crippen alive. So later that day, assuming after having been to sleep, mm-hmm. uh, Crippen pawned a diamond ring and some earrings. And in the following days, people began to ask where Cora was, and he told them that she had returned to the US. On February 3rd, the Music Hall Ladies Guild received a letter, supposedly from Cora dated February 2nd, but not in her handwriting, Ah. saying that she was resigning from her role as treasurer and that she had been recalled to the US to take care of elderly relatives who had fallen ill. Clara Martinetti uh, visited the Crippen home later that day, angry with Crippen for not telling her that Cora was leaving, but he told her that Cora had just received the letter on February 2nd and left immediately. Over the following couple of weeks, Crippen began to pawn more and more of Cora's jewelry. And on February 20th, uh, Crippen took Ethel to a ball. Mm-hmm. Not only that, Ethel was wearing jewelry that was known to belong to Cora.
1: Very suspicious. Mm. Again, this is where sources differ because some sources say that Crippen had moved Ethel in as a lodger following Cora's affair with a different lodger in 1908 but others say that in mid-March 1910 about 6 weeks after Cora was last seen Crippen moved Ethel into the house on Hilldrop Crescent although this in- instead could mean they were now openly living together instead of the whole she's my she's my renter kind of thing yeah hard to say
0: yeah i i can't figure it out from the sources because yeah they they all seem to differ and some are like oh she moved in in 1908 and some are like oh she moved in in like ni- like after Kara went missing and i'm like did she move in or did she move into the master bedroom? yeah
1: yeah did she like visibly move in not like mm. s- uh, subterfugially moved in <laughs> Uh, Towards the end of March 1910, Crippen gave the landlord his three months notice. He also began telling his friends that Cora had taken ill while in the U.S. and that she was expected to die very soon. Cool. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah. Um, yeah. So he told the Martinettis that if Cora died, he would take a holiday to France. Again. Because that's what you do when your wife dies. Yeah. Not like oh she's in another country and she's dying. I should go to her. If I hear she's dead I'll go on vacation. Yeah. Sounds like a great guy. Mm. Uh,
0: so if you just ring me up one day and i like yeah let's go to France for a week. <laughs> I know that what you're actually telling me is that the gremlin
1: has died. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't think, I don't think that I would do that. No. It's just... It It sounds very ridiculous when you say it out loud. It really does. It just sounds absolutely crazy. I don't like this guy. I swear to God. Um, So on March 24th, Clara Martin... Martinetti received a telegram informing her that Cora had died the previous evening. And it had been sent from Victoria Rail Station just before Crippen and Ethel left for France. Isn't that all convenient? Yeah.
0: Uh, While Crippen and Ethel were in France, some of Cora's friends from London's music hall scene began to talk amongst themselves about the strange circumstances regarding her disappearance and, you know, alleged death in the US. Uh, The police were alerted to Cora's disappearance by a friend of hers named Kate Williams, also known as Vulcana. She was a strong woman who had performed on stage and in shows and... We assume that's how their
1: paths met. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you have a big grin on your face now.
1: Volcana. I like it. Uh, I think it's cool. It's so cool. I've also never, like, I've heard of strong men performers. I've never heard of a strong woman performer, so I like that even more. I hadn't either. I just imagine her with one of those, like, big round um, barbells with the big round guys on the end. And, Mm. yeah, it's awesome.
0: I think there's some pictures of her online, like, lifting those kind of dumbbells and barbells.
1: Well, you better believe that's going to be in the post.
0: Yeah. Um, but police didn't really take Wilkana um, seriously.
1: So, they
0: weren't really that bothered about looking for Cora. Until a few months later, when another uh, close friend named John Nash uh, contacted Scotland Yard Superintendent Frank First who was a close friend of his. Uh, John Nash was the husband and manager of Lil Hawthorne. She was one of the three Hawthorne sisters, who were a trio of well-known stage performers in the 1890s. Um, And after her sisters retired, Lil, they were from America, and I think her sisters went back to America. Lil stayed in London and continued to perform in London. And Lil was a close friend of Cora's through the Ladies Guild Music Hall. Uh, So John Nash went on a short trip to the US to make inquiries about Cora's disappearance and supposed death. And when he found no answers, he returned to the UK, and that's when he contacted uh, Superintendent Frank Frost.
1: When Crippen returned to the UK with Ethel, he raised even more eyebrows when he tried to stop Cora's friends and colleagues from the music halls from organizing tributes or memorials to Cora or from sending anything in remembrance to Cora's relatives in the US. Uh, His excuse was that Cora's ashes were being returned to the UK and that her friends' tokens of remembrance and condolences wouldn't arrive until after her ashes had been returned.
0: That seems like a weird excuse. Mm Mm-hmm okay, you can't send these things to her family because I will have the ashes.
1: Yeah. It's like, they're not mutually exclusive, dude.
0: No. And if you have the ashes, maybe her her like biological family would like to have something in remembrance. Yeah.
1: You would think. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Crippen's life returned to normal uh, and he and Ethel seem to be Quite openly in a relationship, although people continued to talk and ask questions about Cora, uh, especially after Ethel was seen wearing yet more jewelry and furs that had belonged to Cora, uh, which of course was seen as uh, being in very poor taste. Yeah. Yeah.
0: At the beginning of July uh, 1910, so this is five months after Cora was last seen. Chief Inspector Walter Dew was assigned to the case, and he interviewed Crippen, who admitted that he had fabricated the story about Cora leaving to care for relatives and then dying while she was in the US. Although he said that the only reason he had made up the, that story was because Cora had left him for a man named Bruce Miller, who was a former music hall actor who Cora had met and had a fling with back in 1903 and he said that the pair had eloped to Chicago. Huh. He explained that he was worried about the embarrassment and local scandal which could arise should people find out about Cora's affairs and ensuing elopement. A cursory search was carried out of 39 Hill Drop Crescent, but nothing of interesting was found. But at the same time, Dew and his team could find nothing to substantiate Cri- Crippen's claims that Cora was alive and well in the US. Crippen had also previously told friends that Cora had died in L.A. and not in New York or New Jersey, which is where her family were from. And despite not being able to find any proof that Cora had traveled to the U.S., you initially believed Crippen's claims that his wife had just run off with an old flame.
1: I think initially, probably the key word in that sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, for some reason, after this encounter with the inspector uh a and ethel panicked i don't know why seems so strange um yeah like they
0: were very close to being just like home and dry
1: yeah seriously they were like so close to getting what he said uh but yeah so they were like oh no guys we gotta go so they fled to belgium uh, first, they went to Brussels for a night, and then to Antwerp for a few nights, while they waited to board the ocean liner SS Montrose, which was destined for Quebec. Uh, Ethel disguised herself as a boy, and they passed themselves off as father and son. Sure, sure. Ah, uh, it's a whole lot of a whole lot of wrong there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pair seemed. Uh, destined for a new life in Canada, but good old Inspector Dew returned to thirty nine Hilldrop Crescent to check a few dates and bits of information before closing the case and When he found the house empty, he became suspicious and raised the alarm that Crippen and Ethel had fled as Crippen and Ethel's descriptions were being circulated on both sides of the Atlantic. A further three searches were carried out at thirty nine Hilldrop Crescent. And it was on the fourth and final search that Cora Crippen's body was finally discovered buried under the cellar floor. Or, more accurately, part of her body. Because they found part of her torso. And to this day, Cora's head, limbs, and most of her skeleton have never been recovered. Uh, An autopsy was carried out by Sir William Wilcox, a senior scientific analyst for the Home Office, who detected the presence of hyacine hydrobromide, or scopalamine. Cor's remains were buried in St. Pancras and Islington Cemetery in North London.
0: Staff on board the ocean liner became suspicious of Crippen, as he was seen being very affectionate to the boy accompanying him on the voyage, supposedly his son, and they reported their concerns to authorities back on dry land, believing that the young boy was in fact a woman who was disguising herself. After the staff on board received a description of Crippen and Ethel, the captain became convinced that the father and son were in fact Crippen and Ethel. Uh, because at this point, uh, police believed that Ethel had assisted in the murder, so she was wanted as well.
1: Uh- the thing that I watched was like, the captain noticed that the young boy had unusually wide hips and had split the seat of his trousers. <laughs> and I was like, okay.
0: <laughs> the captain sent a wireless telegram to authorities in London, which said, quote, have strong suspicions that Crippen London cellar murderer and accomplice are among saloon passengers. Moustache taken off, growing beard, accomplice dressed as boy, manner and build undoubtedly a girl.
1: I mean... So, yeah. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) I am such accomplice. (laughs) Just call me Ethel.
0: I can't imagine you with long hair and in, like, dresses or anything. There are pictures. Uh, According to our old friend Wikipedia... Had Crippen and Ethel travelled in third class, they would likely not have been noticed so much by staff, and certainly not by the captain, because (laughs) they would have been down in, you know, the lower decks, and they would have been able to disembark in Canada and just disappear.
1: See, that's what you get for trying to be a big ol' muckety-muck. Yeah. Get caught for murder.
0: Yep. Upon receiving the message from the SS Montrose, Inspector Dew travelled to Liverpool and he boarded the White Star Line at SS Laurentic, which was a much faster ship, which was also bound for
1: Quebec. And
0: he arrived there before Crippen and Ethel.
1: That's my favorite part of this story. Yeah, like, I
0: love. He's just on it. He's like, right, I'm going to get the fast boat and I'm going to charge it to uh, the Met. I'm going to yeah. this, you know, I'm not even going to pay. I'm going to go on this really fast ocean liner. I'm going to get there before them. I
1: just love it. It's like... It's like that scene in the Parent Trap remake with Lindsay Lohan where they took the Concorde instead of the uh, eight-hour flight or whatever. (laughs) Oh, good time. But I just, yeah, it's like, oh, oh, they're on the ocean. I'll get a faster boat. You don't need a bigger boat. You're just gonna need a faster one. Yeah, exactly. So the SS Montrose entered the St. Lawrence River in Canada on July 31st, And Dew came aboard disguised as a captain. Now, because Canada was still part of the British Empire in 1910, the Canadian authorities didn't really have much choice other than to help the British authorities. Canada at the time was a dominion, which meant it was part of the empire and ultimately still ruled by the British and had allegiance to the crown. But dominions including Canada, India, and New Zealand were self-governing and had equal status to each other. Uh, Dominions were recognized as autonomous countries within the British Empire in 1926, and in 1931, their legislative independence was recognized. So, with this in mind, the British authorities didn't have to gain cooperation from the local authorities or go through the extradition process. Dew was able to walk onto the ship and arrest the couple without incident. Uh, Now, had they sailed to one of the port's Uh, on the U.S. coast, such as New York or Boston, and they had been recognized as an American national, Crippen would have been able to remain in the U.S. until the extradition process had taken place, and the British authorities wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. Yeah, but they went to Canada instead.
0: So, do your research.
1: Yeah, exactly. When Dew located the couple, he removed his captain's hat and reportedly said, Good morning, Dr. Crippen. Do you know me? I'm Chief Inspector Dew from Scotland Yard. Quite a bold introduction. Mm. uh, To which Crippen apparently replied, Thank God it's over. The the suspense has been too great. I couldn't stand it any longer. What a dick. Don't murder your wife. If you can't take the suspense. I mean, if
0: anything's going to put your blood pressure up, don't do it.
1: Yeah. It's just like, don't flee from justice. There's a a multitude of steps he could have taken to mitigate his stress, but he chose not to. Just let his wife leave. Yeah. That. So the pair were arrested and escorted back to England on the SS Megantic a few days later. I love these ship names. hmm They're good, aren't they? So we're 1910, so we're two years before the Titanic, which was literally my favorite thing to study as a child. (laughs) That says a lot about me, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you know there was three sister ships? The Olympic, the... the... Titanic, and the Britannic. Yes. Uh, Crippen and Ethel were tried separately. Crippen was to be tried first for murder, and Ethel second as an accessory, depending upon the verdict of Crippen's case. So Cribben's trial began in October 1910 at London's Old Bailey and lasted for four days. The defence was that the body wasn't Cora's and that it must have been placed under the cellar before the couple moved into the home. But the prosecution maintained that the body was Cora's. They did this by comparing a scar that was found on the torso to a scar that uh, Cora was known to have. On her abdomen, following surgery, and uh, even more compelling testimony, because scar matching wasn't enough, <laughs> was testimony from the company that made the pajamas that the torso was found wrapped up in, and the company said that they didn't manufacture that specific cloth and pattern until 1908, which was three years after the Crippins moved into the house, and there was also like um, records to say that that exact cloth and pattern pajama had been delivered to thirty-nine Hilldrop crescent Ooh. in I think it was nineteen oh nine was a present for one of them.
1: Very, very yeah. suspicious.
0: Yeah. The autopsy had shown um hyacine hydrobromide or scalopamine in Cora's body. Crippen was known to have purchased a large quantity of this, enough to use as poison, two weeks before she disappeared. Uh, Cora's sister uh, and Bruce Miller both travelled from the US to give evidence. You know, the man she supposedly ran off with.
1: Yeah. Mm.
0: Huh. Uh, throughout the trial, Crippen showed no remorse or interest in his wife and was only concerned with the well-being and reputation of Ethel. Great. After four days, the jury retired and took just 30 minutes to reach a verdict of guilty, and Crippen was sentenced to death. Although some sources say it was just under 30 minutes. So, you know, less than half an hour. Still got half your lunch break left. Yeah.
1: Just, like, not great in the grand scheme of things. No. No. Four days later, on October 25th, Ethel Laneve's trial began, but she was charged only as an accessory after the fact, and she was found not guilty. And apparently, the thing I was watching said the lawyer that he wanted at first couldn't, like, come to an agreement with the prosecution, so he quit. So he ended up with a really crap lawyer who mm. let him just continually throughout the trial deny everything instead of actually trying to cooperate a little bit for a lesser charge or a lesser sentence. Mm. And apparently Ethel got a good lawyer who actually helped her win her case. So the moral of that story is find a good lawyer.
0: Yeah. you will be in debt for the rest of your life, but it's better than being in prison for the rest of your life. And you'll
1: have the rest of your life Mm. Uh, because... On November 23rd, 1910, Holly Harvey Crippen was executed by hanging at London's Pentonville Prison. His final request was for a photo of Ethel and some of her letters to be placed inside his coffin. How sweet. Yeah, and that actually happened. Great. (sighs) Uh, He was buried in an unmarked grave uh, within the grounds of the prison. Relatives have since lobbied the home office to have his remains repatriated to the US, which theoretically, uh could have been possible, because according to urban legend, despite prison graves being unmarked, a rose bush was planted over his grave shortly after his execution. This case was the first time a suspect had been caught using wireless technology. Uh which is so cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, would thought that, that wireless telegram from the uh, ship's
1: captain? From the ship, yeah. Because the thing I was watching, it was like, um, the ship's captain decided to use his brand new Marconi ra- wireless radio. <laughs> like, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> Following the trial, Ethel traveled around the U.S. and Canada, where she worked a variety of typist jobs before returning to the U.K. in 1915. Uh, she actually sailed to New York. On the morning of Crippen's execution, Uh, Ethel settled back in London where she married a man named Stanley Smith and had children, and she died in the hospital in 1967. So in 1981, it was reported in numerous British newspapers that Ethel had met with Sir Hugh Rees Rankin in Australia in 1930, and she had told him that Crippen had murdered Cora because she had contracted syphilis from one of her lovers. Of course, this cannot be substantiated either way, because Deathel had already died deathel <laughs> deathel crap
0: <laughs> Ethel had already died yeah, and uh Sir Hugh Rees Rankin was a sort of a high ranking
1: <laughs>
0: a high ranking um member of the British military, I believe mm. The Crippen House, 39 Hilldrop Crescent, was the most famous address in Britain for years after the murder and trial. But it was destroyed during an air raid in the Second World War, much like uh, Rillington Place, yeah. John Christie, which we covered in January. Yeah. Now you might think that that is the end of it, but it's not. There have been many que- questions of Crippen's guilt over the years, from memoirs claiming the judge withheld information from the defence, to a a theory by American author Raymond Chandler that it was unbelievable that Crippen could have buried Cora's torso under the cellar floor, yet successfully disposed of the rest of her body. Another theory posits that Crippen was carrying out illegal abortions, and the body was actually one of his patients who had died, and not Cora.
1: I mean, uh, it does seem strange that somehow uh, uh, someone would be able to completely disappear all the rest of the body, but just decide to leave that buried under the floorboards. But I think it's also, this guy wasn't that smart.
0: But also, I've never been able to find out how much of, like, the cellar was dug up was like the whole floor dug up Mm. was like the garden dug up where you know how extensive a search was there for the rest of her body
1: good point good point was it just like oh if you see a head anywhere call the police shout out y'all good point in 2007 researchers at the michigan state university claimed that the flesh samples a phrase i never want to say again Uh, From the torso were tested and compared to known living relatives of Cora Crippen, and they didn't match. They also claimed that the flesh was from a man and therefore couldn't be Cora Crippen. However, this has been disputed because the research team were working with a highly degraded sample and used a very new special technique that only they knew how to use. So yeah
0: that's why we can't explain it because we don't yeah. know what was used.
1: We yeah, we don't know what the fuck they did. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. Um the researchers were reportedly willing to share the results but not the process of how they came to these results, saying only that the sample is unequivocally male. Which like really doesn't help your case in a like scientific community oh that that's the
0: problem they've had the same problem with like jack the ripper stuff like supposedly a was it a shawl or something that would supposedly belong to i think it was Catherine eddowes who's the mm-hmm. fourth victim or third victim i can't remember um that recently has been dna tested because there's like blood stains on it and i suppose first they came to this theory that proved it was one of the original suspects, and then they're like, oh, no, actually, that was a mistake. That's actually, like, a really common blood mutation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: DNA mutation. But they won't share the research, only the results.
1: <laughs> See, that's just suspicious. You need mm-hmm. to have your work peer-reviewed. That's yep. how this all works, guys. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh they also claim they have no interest in clearing crippen's names just about what is factually correct but i think if you're harping on a 100 plus year old murder case you have some stake in this somehow yeah
0: and when you won't share that like, you can't prove that it is factually correct if you will not submit your work to be peer reviewed exactly
1: Because it has to be verified somehow. Yeah, like, it. it, just so many things wrong with this. Investigators working on behalf of the Crippen family have also lobbied the Met for hair samples found with the body to be handed over to the family for DNA testing. And, obviously, the Met have refused to send the samples, but have offered to have them independently tested for a fee. However... The family have refused to pay said fee because they have called it, quote, over the top.
0: Uh, These new DNA findings are the basis for the Crippen family wanting to have uh, Harley Crippen's remains exhumed and repatriated to the US. However, they have been criticized by many working in genetics and genealogy, including a uh, genealogist who said that the DNA results were revealed in a TV documentary and have not been corroborated or peer-reviewed, as we just said. Um, So it was all, like, big and flashy for a TV show. Yeah. Rather than being done through, like, the scientific community. Yeah. Other criticisms include claims that what we now call sort of forensic genealogy, to trace living relatives, is flawed when we get back sort of, you know, going on for 140 years, because there was no birth certificate for CORA. And at that time in the US, apparently birth certificates weren't mandatory and they weren't that common. Uh-huh. So it's more difficult to trace living relatives that way. And you can't prove, you can say, oh, well, this DNA doesn't match, but you could be looking for the wrong people.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And most things about Kara and her life are anecdotal. There's no, per- there's no paper trail, essentially. Uh-huh. Uh, another question over Crippen's guilt comes from the fact that the body was both poisoned and dismembered, which is unusual. Typically, poisoners do not sort of dispose of the body because they want the body to appear as natural as possible in order to get a death certificate and then insurance or inheritance or uh-huh. just to move on with a new lover without the expense of divorce. And in fact, inclu- uh, according to a BBC article, this is the only known case of a poisoner then dismembering the body, ever. I have thoughts on this, right? If you're a weak person, which Crippen was described as being fairly sort of small and meek and mm-hmm. weak, mild-mannered, it would be easier to poison someone and then dismember the body once they're dead.
1: Oh, yeah. Rather
0: than to, like have to literally fight them to the death. Yeah. Or assault them in some way. So, also, also that sounds, re- I'm sure I've heard of people being poisoned, then dismembered.
1: Also, uh, poisoning in the grand scheme of methods of murder tends to be something that women do more often than men. That is true, yeah. So I wonder if ethel actually poisoned her and then crippen cleaned up basically yeah and that's part of why he was so insistent on just outright denying everything in order to protect ethel during the whole aftermath yeah that could have been Now, even if the DNA evidence does prove that the body was not that of Cora Crippen, it doesn't mean that Crippen was innocent, especially considering his actions. You know, lying about Cora traveling to the U.S., lying to the police, fleeing London, disguising Ethel's identity, and, you know, pretending that they were father and son while also canoodling, but that's just weird, so never mind that um and you know then confessing when he was arrested yeah there's a whole lot of other stuff going on there yeah just just there's so it
0: this guy you know yeah i mean if we go back to like older sort of standards and burden of proof and things like that it would stand up yeah It's just because this case is now being looked at. Through a modern lens. Through modern forensics. Yeah. That it's questionable. But I, you know, all of that added together, you would find it pretty suspicious.
1: Yeah, exactly. It just means that the evidence used to convict him wouldn't stand up in a modern court. Yeah and that the burden of proof lies with the prosecution. But again, I, I agree that, like, in a court of the time, there's plenty, plenty enough evidence yeah. to convict it. Like, dude's real mm. suspicious. Yeah. In 2009, the Criminal Cases Review Commission, which investigates alleged miscarriages of justice, reviewed the case and declared that the Court of Appeal would not be hearing the case with a view to issuing a posthumous pardon for Crippen. And that is the story of Dr. Crippen. What a guy.
0: Yeah. Thoughts?
1: Just like, I don't know. It would be a, 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 a farce if it wasn't real. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I just love Inspector Dew and his fast boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Vulcana, the strongman. Yeah. Woman strong women everywhere yeah let's do it yeah so do you think he was guilty yeah (laughs) i think i think he was definitely guilty and and or ethel was guilty too and she got real lucky or she got a real good lawyer
0: (laughs) yeah i i definitely think he was guilty i don't know about ethel she was found not guilty so there obviously wasn't enough back in the day to yeah to convict her
1: I mean, it never looks good for you when the body of your wife is found in your own basement. No. Like, that alone, to me, says, hey, something happened here. Hmm. And it was this guy who lives here. But, well, it was either him or it was the lodger. Well, yes. Which one wants to take the rap? Exactly. So, uh, like, that alone, and then add into all the other stuff, add in it to it the savings the affairs the you know whatever else he's looking pretty mm. fucking guilty to me
0: yeah one thing that was so frustrating is there's so many like versions of the story even though like the story itself is the same the mm-hmm. timeline just differs between sources and i'm like okay we're used to like a year or two being out for like these old cases but like a seven-year difference between when they actually landed in the UK or when he was sacked or what like where he was even working yeah that's a big swing it's annoying Uh, also so obviously at the end there you just talked about the criminal cases review commission Uh so how they do it with sort of older cases is they look at the evidence that was available at the time they look at can any more evidence be developed with modern techniques, uh-huh. and then the case is presented, and it's decided whether it's worth going through with a hearing.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And there's a series; it was on BBC. I don't know if there's a new series or not. And it's called—I think it's called—Murder in My Family. And it's sort of families who, in the modern day, who you know have grown up with this these stories about a member of their family, usually in the Victorian age, who was convicted for murder and usually was given a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And there's two uh, two lawyers. One argues the case, researches a case from the side of the prosecution. One researches it from the side of the defense. And they then present their evidence to a retired judge who then makes a decision like is like okay i would recommend you go for this with the review commission and court of appeal or no Uh it's a safe conviction um so obviously that's a televised like it's televised version it's it's not legally binding and some of the cases do get taken to the court of appeal not many do but Uh that does sort of show you how they research these cases these like older cases to see if a posthumous pardon should be granted yeah that's
1: really cool i want to watch yeah. that
0: oh sorry it's murder mystery and my family cool if you can find it anywhere online it is a good like let's say it's it's like a half hour program on a like a weekday afternoon it's mm-hmm. nothing groundbreaking but it it is interesting mm-hmm. um to see see how this process goes yeah
1: thoughts stray th- to add stray thoughts um this guy is so weaselly looking
0: oh he's mm.
1: just he that's offensive to weasels <laughs> yeah <laughs> he just looks like the biggest like weenie basically <laughs> um so i don't know if that helps this case or hurts this case but makes me not like him so <laughs> uh yeah that's all i have to say yeah so thank you for listening
0: that was the story of dr grippen uh, let us know what you think was he guilty was he innocent uh
1: um, would you have disguised your lover as your son and boarded an international ship Or would you have, you know, done something smarter?
0: Like, boarded as two separate people.
1: Boarded two separate ships, even. We know one is fast and one is slow. One could get there first, set up shop. But no. You had to be dumb. Yeah,
0: let us know your thoughts. And uh, we will be back next week with a brand new regular episode. Yes. Beginning of our cults month yay
1: cults which is not usually something that you say so like interesting cults so we will see you then okay yes bye bye